I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Here's what we have to check out, Rebecca. Tell me. It's the new show from CBS All Access. It's their original series called One Dollar. Ooh. Okay, here's how it works. It's a small town, and there's deep class divides, and there's crime, and there's mystery, but it all follows from sort of the point of view of this $1 bill that keeps getting passed around from different people. So you get this really horrifying multiple murder case and see how it's all kind of connected by the dollar. Experience Hmm. shifting points of view as you get closer to the truth and dark secrets are revealed. It's got a great cast. It's led by John Carroll Lynch from American Horror Story and The Walking Dead. So there's a lot to be excited about. Hurry to cbs.com slash crime for your free trial of CBS All Access and their new original series, One Dollar. That's cbs.com slash crime. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, TV, journalism. And this week, we'll look at the most famous crime to come out of our parts. Investigation Discovery come has a new three-part series revisiting the crimes and trial of Pam Smart. Plus, the state speaks in the Anand Syed appeal. Also, we'll go back to some of the podcasts and TV shows we reviewed this summer to talk about their finales. And we'll talk about some new offerings in the crime media landscape, including the heralded return of Up and Vanished, True Detective, and American Vandal. Joining me to get all that stuff done and even more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and home renovation survival buddy, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. Wow, we got a lot to get to. Let's... uh... Let's get on our horse. (laughs) Also with us is true crime author, journalist, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura Bricker. Hello, Rebecca LaVoy. Is that some ice over there clinking in a glass that I'm No, you know what it was? I'm not going to tell you because you want to smack me. It it was my watch. It said, congratulations, Laura. You hit all three goals today for exercise. Yeah, I don't want to hear about anything about that. (laughs) Well, you're sitting in front of a microphone drinking a glass of wine. (laughs) Wrong. I want want that exercise routine. (laughs) (laughs) Also with us is our resident Doubting Thomas, the novelist behind the acclaimed City Trilogy, and our Patreon-exclusive book club host of Ball's Deep Dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Toby? Hello, I lost you for a second. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was dramatic. Uh, Toby, speaking of our patron-exclusive book club podcast, uh, patrons at patreon.com slash partners in crime media will be treated to a new book club podcast. It's coming out probably the day after this show drops, sometime this weekend. Toby, what is this month's book club podcast all about? It is about a collection of essays by uh, a woman named Alice Boland called Dead Girls. I've actually got it right here. Dead Girls, Essays on Surviving in an American Obsession. And it's me and Marsha Chatlain. Brilliant. Yeah, she's awesome. And Meg Heckman and uh, Kimberly from Date with Dateline mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. And it's a pretty lively conversation. I think people will find it interesting. Uh, potentially, hopefully, more interesting than the actual book was. So. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, we're just waiting on our very handsome line editor, Henry Lavoy, who has returned home to put together that podcast for us, and it will drop this weekend. So Patreon awesome. folks, uh, look forward to that, or non-Patreon folks, go sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you too can get access to the exclusive Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. And there'll be another one coming out pretty quickly after that, too. Right, right. With Rabia and because who else is on that We got backed one? up. Yeah, Rabia, one. Laura, and uh, and Katie from Day with Day Long. Ooh, all ladies. Ladies night at the deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Does that mean there's like $2 shots or something? No, it's all the $2 Drink shots specials? you can handle. I'm going to take them off my belly. <laughs> oh, all right. God. Well, let's get right into it. Kevin, can you please read this for me? True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast update. update. It's, a, it's, it's, it's like plural. I, I wrote, I wrote right, it that right. way. I said read that like this. Update. update. Perfect. All right. Well, there's a lot to get to, so I don't want to make you read that over and over again. So I okay. pluralized it. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is something big that happened this week in the world of podcasting and in the world of serial. Kim Kardashian, who I don't feel like I need to say like the reality star known for blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows who Kim Kardashian is. Yeah. Tweeted this week that she was listening to Serial Season 1 and she was on ep- episode 4 and she wanted to know if people thought Adnan Syed was guilty or not. And that, of course, created a firestorm on Twitter uh, with some people basically being like, Kim, did you schedule this tweet in 2014? Uh, and others uh, like Rabia Chaudhry, like me, like other people, just being kind of thrilled that the true crime podcast tent was opening up to somebody who I think we may have considered to be very far outside of our wheelhouse. Kevin, what do you think? Kim K, uh, getting on the true crime podcast train, good or bad for us, our industry, podcast in general, thoughts? I think we've jumped the shark. (laughs) Really? No, 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 no. I mean, I think anything that expands awareness of podcasting is great. And I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of the Venn diagram here of podcast listeners and fans of Kim Kardashian and sort of like where that that falls over and I'm I, raising my hand yeah, right now but I'm th- but now think of the, the the part outside of the diagram that it's just Kim Kardashian fans yeah we start can we start like moving that so it covers more some more podcasts more of those folks get into podcasts I'm just gonna say a couple things one is that Kim Kardashian whatever you may think of the keeping up with the Kardashians Kim Kardashian's rise to fame as best friend of Paris Hilton and mm-hmm. then sex tape uh, I would say victim and all the other stuff uh, did just get a wrongly convicted woman out of prison she has a yep. new interest in criminal justice reform and I was she's, wrongly convicted 
Well, but you got her wrongly sentenced, yeah. sentenced woman. Sure, okay, sure, yeah. And she is now putting her considerable cultural weight behind the cause of criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. So I think she could be very good for the true crime uh, sort of cause and, sure. and, and, and listenership in general. And also I'll say this. Do you remember watching with me the uh, Caitlyn Jenner coming out interview with Diane Sawyer yeah. on TV yeah. when she kind of came out as a trans person and the conversation we had, which is that this family is uniquely positioned to bring certain issues to the forefront in a way that other people in pop culture are not. Are you going to make this equivalency right now? I'm not. Okay. I'm just going right. to say, right. I think Kim Kardashian being interested in an Ansayed's case is not bad for it's the Ansayed's case. It's not bad. <laughs> Can't get a pardon, though, folks, because that's not a federal crime. It's true. Can't get a presidential pardon. It's true. What do you think, Laura, of Kim K being under our tent? I just like... Kind of watching all the tweets and the reaction mm-hmm. to her uh, tweet this week. And Toby Ball even tweeted back to her, which uh, I like. that's when I first saw something going on. I'm like, Toby just tweeted at Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? So, you know what? It's it's good on many fronts. It's opening up Toby's uh, frontier as well here. That's right. Toby thoughts. Uh, cultural awareness on my part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> If she wants to listen to it, that's awesome. I am an occasional, sometimes frequent viewer of Keeping Up With the Kardashians, depending on what's happening in their world. And Kim, I will say for the record, has always been my favorite of the Kardashian sisters. And if you happen to find yourself listening to this podcast, Kim, don't listen to the haters. Haters going to hate. Uh, you're welcome under our tent anytime. So another big uh, kind of thing that happened in the true crime podcast world in the last couple of weeks, uh, I'm wondering if any of you guys have heard about the sort of big swirling controversy around My Favorite Murder and what happened with their Facebook group. Laura, did you hear about this? I did not, no. All right. Well, Kevin, you've heard about this. Yeah, I have. All right. So the basic rundown is that My Favorite Murder, which is a hugely popular podcast that I have, in my experience, found that people either adore Mm -hmm. or don't understand at all. Mm -hmm. It's either usually one of the two. Um, They had a extremely vibrant Facebook group with something like 300,000 people. Keep in mind, My Favorite Murder is about... 15 times as big as we are in terms of audience, in terms of revenue, in terms Mm -hmm. of everything. Mm -hmm. They are a juggernaut in the true crime commentary world. And they have kind of been um, suffering with their audience, I think, through issues around inclusion and their audience and members of their audience feeling like they haven't been included in some conversations that have to do with diversity. And there was a misstep with a merchandise item that they put together that had an image of a TP on it. People thought that that was cultural appropriation. And there were some comments made in their Facebook group that their moderators perhaps didn't catch quickly enough. The conversation devolved. Maybe the there was one host who now admits she didn't respond quickly enough. And it basically turned into a swirling dervish of everything that you hope will not go wrong a with your junior wonderful high school. What the? No, basically it was a swirling dervish of everything you hope that will not go wrong with your vibrant podcast mm-hmm. community. All went wrong, and now they have permanently shut down their Facebook group. Oh, I couldn't shut down wow. our Facebook group. You know, I mean, it would be it would be tough. And, and the reason that I bring it up is not because I want to like you know Schadenfreude on another podcast. Like this is one of those things that's like sort of like there, but for the grace of God, go I. How many people in that Facebook group? 
uh, like a million, like more than a quarter million, oh, right? Yeah. So it's like it's a lot bigger than ours. And I will say, uh, Murderinos out there, if you're looking for another Facebook group to join, the Crime Writers on official face- Facebook discussion group is pretty rad and uh, awesome. And we don't have the professional moderating thing that the uh, uh, My Hair Murder one had, but you are welcome. And we will immediately kick you out if you're a garbage person. Just know that. But uh, you are welcome. Anyway, the only thing that I wanted to say about this is I think, and this is the, when I look at what happened and what the hosts of My Hair Murder have written about it, I just want to let our audience know that the four of us talk very deliberately and we edit the show this way and we think this way about inclusion and about trying to be as open to Mm -hmm. as many viewpoints as possible in our audience and to keep diversity top of mind. We are four white people from New Hampshire and we know we have to be proactive to encourage healthy conversations that are not offensive that don't uh, violate people's feelings of safety. And I just want to let you know we're working very hard to prevent exactly what we saw happen with my favorite murder community. So that's all I have to say about that. And I just wanted to bring it up because it was kind of a big shakeup in the in the true crime podcast world. Well, thank you for sharing that with all of us. Well, you're welcome. Laura Bricker. Yes, Rebecca. I'd like to do a little true crime podcast catch up with you because okay. on the last episode, we talked about briefly about a show that you'd been listening to and we've gotten some requests to review the show. I just feel like it's kind of been out for a while. So maybe it's not exactly in our trying to keep up with the latest wheelhouse. But you did listen to the new podcast from American Media Inc. Yes, that. American American. (laughs) Uh, It's called Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. Before Jennifer Lawrence, before Reese Witherspoon, before Julia Roberts, there was Natalie Wood. She was America's sweetheart. And she was taken from us too soon. I would love to hear your thoughts on that podcast. And we're granting you immunity on your (laughs) review. (laughs) Well, I started listening to this earlier this summer when we were kind of in what I'll call these summer doldrums when there weren't too many new podcasts coming out and I was doing my walks and I was like, I need something to listen to. So this is obviously it's about the death of Natalie Wood, who fell overboard off of her super mega yacht and drowned. And I I really didn't know anything about this this case. Um, Fireman Ken did. He made a very inappropriate joke, which was probably um, others have probably heard the inappropriate joke about what kind of uh, wood doesn't float. Natalie, Um, yes, we've all heard that. When I was in fourth grade. Yeah, well, see, I I missed all that. Oh, that's right, because you didn't have TV. You always forget you didn't have TV when you're growing up. So so you, you didn't know that she was in the boat with Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken? No, I didn't know any of this. And I was wow. like, oh, this is really interesting. So I will say it is definitely a very kind of stylized podcast. They've got this narrator um, who kind of sounds like that guy, Robin Leach, who used to be on like Lifestyles oh, of the Rich R.I.P. and Famous. Robin Leach. That's exactly right. Yes. It, isn't exactly it? Am I right? I and he's like, yeah, and I'm like, so it's just. You guys know he passed away this week, right? Robin Leach? Did he really? He really did. I'll <laughs> well, talk about weird timing. Did he fall off a boat? <laughs> No. All right. <laughs> After having 10 bottles of wine. So it's, it's very stylized. But what I like about it, the episodes are short. 
they do have some interesting perspectives in there. They've got her sister. They've got their boat captain. They've got some interesting um, kind of academic folks who talk about Hollywood. So the episodes are short and sweet, and and they're interesting. What I don't necessarily like, and this is just, I think, because we've been doing what we do for a while now, some of the sound quality is kind of weird. Like, Mm -hmm. they have some really weird music that they mix in, and then all of a sudden, it gets really loud, and then it just stops, and somebody's talking again. So there's some kind of, I think, technical issues that, you know they could stand to work on but overall i mean it's interesting that's, that's weird because from what i hear from um, american media that they have microphones everywhere <laughs> <laughs> they've been keeping this audio in a safe in a safe <laughs> well yeah exactly so th- they did ha- they did have some interesting audio of her um you know doing some interviews and it's an interesting story and it is still going on so they're releasing new episodes there's still more episodes coming out i mean i just listened to the one where you know she um spoiler um you know she drowned and <laughs> was covered in a simple blanket i'm sorry i i, I you say things and i find myself <laughs> laughing at people's deaths <laughs> On the show. And then I'm just anticipating the emails I'm going to get with, Dear Rebecca, I found it appalling that as soon as Laura mentioned the drowning death of beloved actress Natalie Wood, star of my favorite movie of all time, West Side Story, in which she plays a Puerto Rican person, even though she's white, you laughed. And that I, well, what did I say last week? Somebody <laughs> was seriously dead. dead or seriously very dead, dead. clearly dead. dead. Um, very dead. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's interesting that they have gotten some some people to sound in, but the narrator, you kind of have to, you know, um, get used to him a little bit, but he keeps it lively. And then they have very lively ads with like <laughs> jazz music playing. <laughs> I have to say, everything about this is so funny to me because I think about all the recommendations we get for podcasts, people trying to get me to listen to you and, they, and they, they'll write to us or tweet to us and they'll be like, listen, the sound quality is horrible. The production is terrible. The host is insufferable. But you should listen to this anyway. And I'm like, it's like saying, smell this. Yes. Yeah. Do you think this milk has gone bad? Laura, can it's I ask okay. you a question? Because so yes. we get, I'm thinking of, in particular, the first season of Slow Burn and some of the TV yes. shows we've watched where there are stories that are complete and have been around for a while. So there's not really a surprise ending, but it's all in the way that we look back on it and maybe there's the things that we remember and the things that we don't and if it's done well, it can be interesting. You know, like Slow Burn, like The People versus O.J. Simpson. Is this... Laura doesn't remember this. She doesn't know anything about it. Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, I don't think think there's any new information. They, They claimed that there was new information from the boat captain However, he also wrote a tell-all book a few years ago, so his new information is already out there. But this was like his first audio interview Mm. because he he didn't tell the whole truth to the police the night that this all happened and and in the early investigation in terms of some of the backstory about her relationship with Robert Wagner and and her relationship with Christopher Walken. Hmm. Listen, it's it's an easy listen, um, you know. (laughs) You didn't make it sound like an it's easy listen the way you described that it. Bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's thumbs diagonally sideways. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, um, I just want you to read one more of these for me. True Crime Podcast Update. Now, this is the True Crime Podcast Update that Kevin, you are choosing to sit out of, from what I understand. Probably just going to like. Sit off to the side. <laughs> In protest. I'm taking a knee on this one. <laughs> Season two of Up and Vanished 
our favorite podcast to talk about on the show, except not, uh, is out. Uh, we are going to not spend much time rehashing our thoughts because, as you know, we have well-documented concerns about the Up and Vanish brand, about Payne Lindsay. But some of us have listened in to at least a little bit of Up and Vanish's new season, and we have a couple of thoughts. I listened to the first episode in its entirety. Toby, I know you listened to some of the first episode. Laura, I know you listened in a little bit. I would love yes. your first impressions, Toby Ball, first impressions of season two of Up and Vanished. Uh I was actually kind of flabbergasted. About what? Um, that good? About the whole thing. Like, the, the way that he managed to find, like, a woman who disappeared who was psychic mm. um, <laughs> and foretold all kinds of things. <laughs> the way he, like, gave us a little cultural background of the drum circle mm-hmm. by playing, like, <laughs> old recordings of Native American dances. Yep. I, it was just, I, I, I couldn't, you know, it. It it seemed like it was it was it was a self parody. I, I think unintentionally, and I hate to say that because I would like to be bigger than that and give some kind of counter argument to all this. Yeah. But I was listening, and I was like, I honestly can't believe that this is being put forward like with a straight face. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's bizarre. Uh, Laura Bricker, what did you think of what you heard of the new season of Up and Vanished? It's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just that's what I, I hadn't listened in, you know, since the first season, I think. And, and I forget there's like the long pauses between sections, the use of music. I got through the drum circle part and I was like, huh, this is interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I, I'll probably continue listening just to the end of the first episode, t- to be fair. Um, so I don't think I can really give a accurate review at this point. Okay. I need I need to finish that one episode. No, that's fair. That's fair. And Kevin, we should be clear, you are actually sitting out this part of the conversation on I purpose. Just, yeah, I just don't want to... We've talked about this before, and I just, you know, I don't. I, I think reviewing this this podcast is just a lose lose, right? Because it, either we say he he end up like Toby wants to say, like this is the f- most fantastic misunderstood person. This is a really great piece of art, or we just shit on it again because it doesn't seem to be any in between. And I just, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go there. You okay. Know, I, well, can I just say the things that are different from season can. one? Absolutely, you can. That are better. Okay. Because there are a couple. Um, he has a producer now. So yeah. the quality of some of the just raw interview tape is better. And the way those actual interview sections are edited is better, where you hear just the person talking. Like mm-hmm. you can hear where a real audio producer went in and like used breaths to tape together audio. I can hear that stuff. So that stuff is better. And they did find an interesting, I mean, there's another case, you know, a missing person. And those things seem better. There are some things that are not better. And I dare I say worse. One of those things is the fetishism of sound design. The sound design on this podcast is extreme. It's not like sound design in an artful way that's like new. I've heard before. It's like extreme sound design to a level which actually completely takes away from what you're listening to. And it's also very counter to the writing. So at the beginning of the episode, there's a little passage where Payne makes the statement. Everyone's grabbing for instruments. And even though they can barely see each other, they're all playing strangely in sync. And 
and they drop in music that is clearly like music, not like the people actually playing their instruments. No, that, was, that was super weird. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like, this is not the thing you recorded at the time. It's just clearly not the thing you recorded in the field at the time, but he's saying that it is. And that's weird. And there's like this fetishism with echoes and like speeds up and slowdowns. And the other thing that I will say, and I'm saying this because I know that he has a producer now, and I'm like talking to that really nice sounding woman who's the producer of the show. She's probably not listening to this podcast. But if she does, I want to say this. Please, please edit the scripts so that either Payne or the person being interviewed doesn't exactly repeat the thing that was we just heard in the clip or the thing we're about to hear in the clip. Like, exactly repeat it. It is... Well, what do you mean? It's comical. Do you have a clip? One thing most people agree on is that this is the last place she was seen. It's called a drum circle. She was seen at what they call a drum circle. And the other thing I would say is I'm all about the interviewer being in the tape with the persons that we can hear that pain was actually there. Because you know that like... You know, you wonder, like, with all these, these productions, like, how much of it is, like, you know, pain was actually there anything in person. I would just say, just for the sake of it making it sound like he was there, don't include the question that sounds like a John David Booter question. So she came down and took care of me immediately from Crestone till I could take care of myself. And then two days after she got back to Crestone, she disappeared. Have you seen her since then? No. No, no, she disappeared, and uh, that was the last I seen of her. All right, so that would be an example of that. So I'm not a fan. It's overproduced, poorly written, and I know people love it. And good for you if you're one of the people who loves it. Good for you. But yeah. he's going to sell a lot of, I don't know, was it mineral water? Dude, he is making that ad. A consultant? I don't know. Can what... we please just talk about that weird-ass ad? Did you guys hear that weird-ass ad? Mm-mm. Super weird. I just want to play one tiny clip from that ad. There's no truer crime than professional mediocrity. That's my new phone ringtone, Kevin. That's my new phone ringtone. <laughs> God. <laughs> there is something about this, like, I would love it for it to suddenly be awesome. Because I really, I went into this thinking, like, clean slate. I don't want to be just, like, that awful person who just, like, likes to talk about something that she hates just because she hates it. But it is, like, one of the top podcasts in America. And, like, we do talk about the most popular podcast. So it would be, like, weird to pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Okay. Okay. We'll leave it at that then. All right. Well, let's move on to something else that perhaps we might end up liking a little better and perhaps not. Kevin, can you please read this for me? HBO, HBO and Netflix, Netflix updates. updates. All right. Let's start with the mixed, shall we? Not the good, the bad, the ugly, but the mixed. HBO's adaptation of Gillian Flynn's Sharp Objects just finished its run. Now that the Kane boys arrested... All's well at last. Is it? Would you be more sad if John died or I died? I don't want anybody to die. I just want to say we're going to talk for a couple of quick minutes about the ending of Sharp Objects. If you want to skip ahead, if you are watching the series and haven't yet seen the ending, we're going to put a little clip for you in the show notes about where this section ends so that you know where to fast forward to. 
So Sharp Objects, I know that uh, Toby and Lara both read the book and you did not, Kevin. Correct. How did you feel, Kevin, about the reveal of the killer at the end of Sharp Objects? Surprised? Not surprised? How do you think it went? I, I was surprised. Uh, well, only because of, like this should be wrapping up. So, oh, something's not right. <laughs> it's only five minutes left. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, there seems to be a lot of now we're just having dinner at the uh, editor's house. So, mm. like, okay, something's still up. But, yeah, I, I did not pick her. Mm. as the killer the whole way through. Well, we, we've said this is the spoiler part, so you can say Amma. Amma, Amma. The, the daughter. The and sister. I, yeah, the sister. And I do understand why they finished the episode right where it did and, th- and then included the in the, the post-credit yeah. flashes, and I suppose we'll be talking about that, but I, th- I think when it kind of wraps up, it's like, oh, okay, that's a good that, that's a good you know killer for the the mystery part of this sh- the show. I mean, what do you problems. think about those credit flashbacks where it showed how the crimes were committed? Well, I have to go with the decision to end the show on the the line "Don't tell Mama." Yeah, and cut to black because I think it was pretty powerful. I think isn't that the way the book ends? Is that like the last line of the book, mm-hmm. which I can't it probably remember. should be right? I mean, I don't know. I think it's going for that punch and done. But the problem with that is, it, while it ends up being a surprise and it's a really good place to stop, you still have the question about, well, well the, how did you do it? What happened? Right. So I think a way to address that in the television medium is to, okay, say this is, okay, say the line, this is the end of the uh, the show, we start rolling credits, and then we stop, and then we show you some flashes yeah. of... What this means, it means that, yeah, oh, you see her with her friends holding down one of the victims, choking with the, the, the clothesline, which we know the one of the victims was choked with, the shot of, like, the pink fingernails, yep. um, and we know that the killer had painted the fingernails, and so basically showing her she was the killer. Right. And how she did that. So I think right. it was able to maintain sort of the surprise punch of the that, that last line. Right. Where she, like, you know, picks up the tooth and... Anyhow, I, I will say there's it's unusual, one, but I think it works. There's one thing about the just aside from like how the series was and how it ended. There's one thing about how it all wrapped up that is very true to the Gillian Flynn novels, not just this one, but all of them. My biggest complaint about all of her books is that they're really, really, really good, and then they wrap up in about ten pages with about thirty plot points. And uh-huh. all of her books are like that, and that's always been a huge issue for me. The endings always feel super rushed and super out of nowhere. Laura, what did you think about how Sharp Objects wrapped up? I'm saving Toby for last because I know his feelings are the strongest. Uh, Spoiler (laughs) alert. I just want to know your thoughts. Well, I'm going to tell you that I really didn't love this series as much as I hoped I would love it. Um, I just felt like it dragged. And like the last probably three episodes... I don't even think I watched them on Sunday. I waited mm. till like later in the week. I was just like, because I wanted, I want to get to the ending, but I just wasn't feeling as, in, it was just slow. So yeah, the ending, I feel like for people that maybe didn't read the book, I don't know if the total context of why she was the killer was as, you know, explored as well or sort of, you know, brought, brought out. Because I mean, I definitely felt like when I finished the book, I had a better understanding of maybe why she had done this. And I don't feel like I had the same sense from watching the series. Mm. 
And I, I couldn't, I don't know how, Kevin, I don't know how you saw all that in those credits because I watched it like three times. I'm like, what's happening? Who's doing what? No, I what's think going I had on? some assistance from the internet. Yeah, we read articles about it the next day. Yeah. Okay. We didn't actually I, tell what was going yeah. on. Yeah, I had <laughs> I deleted had no it idea. and then I undeleted it from the DVR so I could watch it again. There's like a nice like Vox article about it that we read or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm with real. you, Laura. I wanted to like it more than I, yeah. than I wasn't able to really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the, the last episode was probably, you know, better than, than the mm-hmm. other ones, but it definitely in the middle, I was just like, all right, already, let's like get moving here. So I just felt like Calhoun Day. Yeah. <laughs> Toby, sharp objects. Final thoughts on this series and how it ended. It was terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, you've got, you know, an eight hour prestige, big actors, you know, really parts of it really well acted. The direction, I think, for the most part is really good. And your storytelling is so lame that you have to do, like, the Encyclopedia Brown thing at the end where you, like, you have to flip a page to find out what actually happened. I thought it was was mind-blowingly bad, Hmm. I thought, to do that. I agree with Kevin in that the ending, that's a good, like, little moment of television. But if they wanted to keep that, they had to do something a little bit different with the storytelling so that when she says that, it signals to you exactly what happened. Right. Because at the time, at least the way I kind of interpreted what was going on, was that Adora, you know, must have had an accomplice. And it was like, well, who's the accomplice? So then I thought maybe that's what she was trying to imply by that, is maybe she helped pull the teeth out after Adora killed them. But then when you go to that little montage, it seems like Adora really didn't have much to do with it. Right. Like the actual killings. It just seemed like a real failure of storytelling that they had to do that. I saw that like there's a little after thing where the director is talking about how great it is that they did that. And I was just, I don't know. It just, it seems like it's a failure if you spend eight hours on a story. And I would say about three of them were just completely boring and, and useless. And then you still have to spend 30 seconds to kind of explain what it all meant anyway. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. like just the end of it. Like I didn't understand this whole like, it turns out she's been poisoning my sisters and killed one of them. So the way I'm going to deal with it is to go home and then allow her to poison me. Right. Like I didn't understand what that was all about. Yeah. And maybe that's being dense. That seemed like a decision that was made to put her in danger Mm -hmm. for the dramatic effect rather than sort of any kind of logic that a real person would use in in trying to deal with that problem. Right. Well, there were a lot of weird, like very lazy TV style storytelling things like that. There was that. There was the editor showing up to save her out of nowhere Mm. when when basically we've been shown that he has cancer and he's getting treatment for that, like... And all of a sudden, he's, like, concerned about her enough to show up. Like, that came out of nowhere. And then there was that whole incredibly lazy scene. I know this is from the book, but I just think it could have been done better. There was an opportunity where we see her sleeping with that young kid. And we already know the cops are on the way to that hotel room. So we're Mm -hmm. just waiting for the sexy detective boyfriend to bust in and sort of catch them in bed together. And we're just waiting for it for, like, 20 minutes. We know it's going to happen. And so when it happens, it has zero dramatic effect because we know it's going to happen. We hear them Mm -hmm. on the radio saying, like, he's at the motel or go to the motel. 
yeah, it wasn't good. It just wasn't. And I keep seeing these like like loving like reviews of it online. Mm-hmm. I really don't get what people see in this that I'm, I feel like I'm just missing it. I agree on that scene with the editor. I actually rewound because I was watching it on demand. I'm like, did I miss something? Like she was she was poisoned. She's dying. She's crawling around. All of a sudden, the police are here. Like, I, I thought I must have missed something because it just, the transition there was so far out of left field. Yeah. The other part of that that scene where she's sleeping with that kid that I was like kind of eye rolled about is they make sure that they put in there that he's of age, you yeah. know? Like, she gets asked that. It's like, oh, okay, well, at least it's not statutory rape. Yeah. And then the other detail, which I totally would not have known, like, A, I wouldn't have known about that thing in the credits unless I'd read about it the next morning in like New York Magazine or something. And then I also didn't know that in the dollhouse, the like ivory floor that's in the real house is made out of teeth in the dollhouse because it goes by so fast. And I literally, I had to pause it and then walk up close to the TV screen. And I was like, oh, yeah, those, those are teeth. And that's like actually kind of a cool detail. Yeah, it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's an important plot point. <laughs> and it completely like you – I don't know how you could possibly see that running through it yeah. at, at normal speed at a normal distance from a TV. Right. It just seemed totally lost. And there's also no sense in the show until that very last episode we see her with her new friend that she ends up murdering. There's no sense in the show that she's made this dollhouse herself. We're sort of under the impression that it was just something she had, not something she made. Mm -hmm. So it also makes no sense that she'd be making the floor out of teeth. (laughs) Again, maybe I'm being dense here, but I was looking back and like I kind of knew that from the book that she was the one. And I kept waiting for like clues or hints that it was her in the show. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see any. Right. You know, one of the... It's cheating. Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the agreements that you make as an author in these kinds of things is that you leave enough stuff in there, hopefully that's clever, so that when the reveal happens, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. And and this is just like, you know, you could pick any of a bunch of people and have the same response to it. Right. I mean, you could have said it was the, the sheriff. Or it was you could the have barber. said it was... <laughs> Right. You know, it's like any of those people would be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess so. I guess this just Um, proves, though, that the book is better than the movie. Right. Which is is. why I think it's really great to get an Audible (laughs) subscription (laughs) because then you could listen to the audio book before you get to see the movie or maybe, you know, save the day after watching a really bad movie. Yes. Audio books are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, running, road tripping. Going outside. Yes. Staying inside Ignoring when it's hot as hell like this. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a good time to be listening to audiobooks. Now, Toby, the next Toby Balls Deep Book Club podcast. Deep. I, Toby Balls Deep. What did I call it? My Deep Club. Toby's Deep Dive Book Club. <laughs> deep Dive. Balls Deep Dive Balls book, deep. book Club. Okay. Yes. So that, Toby, the book you're reading next is Fact of a Body. Yes. Correct. And then after that, what's the book coming up after that one? It's uh, The Monster of Florence by Douglas Preston, which has one of the most distinctive audio readings of any yes. audiobook I've ever got, had. Yes, actually, you're, you're right, because I have that. I, was, I said I read it, but I listened to it yep. uh, as an audiobook from Audible. And yeah, it's, it's a really a great 
read. And you know, it's 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 a way to consume these books for your book podcast or just for fun. Yep. Well, it lets you do all the other things that you need to do. Listen to a book while you're doing the groceries or sitting in traffic. Ignoring your family. Ignoring your family or the boss. As an Audible member, you'll get a credit every month for an audio book regardless of the price and all your unused credits roll over the next month. Even give you a little reminder that you've got one there. That's like, right. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go get a book. Uh, plus, your books are yours to keep. So you can go back and re-listen to them, even if you cancel. And you can switch seamlessly between your devices so you can pick up where you left off, either on your phone or the, your Amazon Echo. You can start your 30-day trial and get your first audiobook for free by going to audible.com slash crime, crime or text the word crime to 500-500. Crime. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash crime, crime or text crime to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. You can do it. I'm going to say on that Audible thing, at least I could have heard the story on Audible because I could never hear half of what they were saying in Sharp Objects. So if I had listened yes. to the audiobook, I'm sure I would not have yes. missed half of the story. Yes, and let's just pause this ad break for a second to talk about that because every time I tweet about this, like hundreds of people say they have the same experience. HBO, if anybody who works at HBO is listening to this stupid podcast... You mix your shows way too low, and you distribute them way too low. I have to listen to your shows twice as loud as I watch anything else on my cable package. HBO, work on your audio situation. All right, what else you got, Kevin? Well, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We get support from Rothy's Shoes. Stylish, sustainable, and comfortable flats for everyday wear anywhere. Rothy's is the everyday flat for life on the go with three fashionable styles. They have the flat, the point, and the loafer, and an amazing color and pattern selection that will always be updated. Not to mention, they're the softest shoe you'll put on your feet. So I know all of you guys got yep. flats. I got the flats, yeah. I got a flat. Uh, it, it's Toby Deborah got what? A flat? We all got the loafer. flats. Got flat, Everybody got flats. She loves. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So Deborah loves hers. Rebecca, do you? Yep. They are, uh, not only are they stylish and look cute with everything, but they're also made of recycled materials. They are machine washable. So you get that foot stank right out of there. Or if you go for a walk in the you know muddy grass, you can just throw them right in the washing machine when you're done. They're amazing shoes. We actually got a pair for our uh, stepdaughter before she went to college. My stepdaughter, your daughter, I got oh. her a pair to send off to college yeah, with. Yeah, that's right. You put them in the Because the, they will the last the entire time she's at college. They're incredible. Laura, can you believe they're made from recycled plastic water bottles? It's awesome. Um, I have to say, I've been having a lot of guilt about plastic. Um, I wrote about some little kids and their quest to end uh, plastic straws earlier this year. So. So I was super excited when I got these shoes because I felt like, you know, not only are they awesome and they look good, you know, I felt like I was doing something good by getting shoes like that. And I have to tell you, I get so many compliments on these shoes when I wear them around. Everybody's like, are those the water bottle shoes? Everybody wants to know because, you know, they've gotten mm-hmm. a lot. That's, that's really neat that that's, that's how they're making them. They're perfect for a hate walk around the neighborhood. They are, and they're hot pink, so they're raging. You know, mine are anyway. <laughs> Rothy's has an amazing deal. Use code CRIME to get free shipping, no minimum. That's free shipping plus free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoe when you go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S, dot com and enter CRIME. CRIME. This is a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, plus free shipping. Get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com, promo code CRIME. CRIME. Get this deal while it lasts. All right. Well, Kevin, before the ad break, we were doing a quick HBO and Netflix update. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and we kind of went down a longer road with our uh, strong feelings about sharp objects. I just want to do like a quick run through of the other items on our TV menu that I was hoping to get to tonight. Okay. There is a brand new trailer for season two of American Vandal. It was really just a, a normal day. I don't know how else to describe it. It was Chicken Finger Monday. Those things are damn good. Early into that lunch, I knew something was off. It didn't really hit me right away. And then it really hit me. The lemonade was contaminated. 911. They're all, they're all pooping. Most of us just shit our pants right in front of everyone. People were just trying to find a place where they could shit. This was the worst thing I've seen in 20 years. Before it was all over, it had a name. The brownout. Of course, American Vandal was a show that we all loved on Netflix. Uh, They made a whole mystery in season one. It was a parody of the true crime genre, and they had made a whole mystery out of dick drawings. And as we just heard, season two is going to be all about a new criminal called the Turd Burglar. My question for you, panel, is uh, dick jokes? Hilarious? Poop jokes? Can they sustain a whole season, or do you think that this show will have jumped the brown shark. Oh, Toby Ball, brown- what do you think? God damn it. No, I, you know, poop jokes don't have the same sort of sophistication and, and possibilities <laughs> that dick jokes have. Yeah. So I just don't see how it can work. What about you, Laura? What do you think? There has been a lot of poop uh, in the news with <laughs> um, all these people, like the mad poopers, like that, that like school person in New Jersey that was like pooping on the track. I yeah. mean, so I don't know. Maybe it's having a comeback. I don't know. What but, do you think, um, Kevin? Uh, American Vandal season two, Turd Burglar. Are you in? Are you out? You think it's going to work? Oh, I'm totally in. I mean, I don't know if the if it's supposed to be sustained by the poop jokes. If, yeah. If it's as good or tries to be half as good as American Vandal, I think it's still worth it. Worth I, it. I really liked the uh, Sister Kathy imagery they do in the trailer. It, it clearly takes place like in a Catholic school. They have a lot of that like kids banging on doors, mm-hmm. dramatic imagery. I think it's going to be just another setup of the true crime genre in general. I hope they bring something new to it. And I hope the poop jokes uh, aren't too stinky. Oh. All right. Well, another HBO offering to look forward to. Big news this week. The podcast, My Dad Wrote a Porno, will be coming to the network as an adapted TV show for HBO. Producers say the episodes will be based on the gang's sellout live shows. Laura Bricker, I know you're a big My Dad Wrote a Porno fan. Are you in for the HBO adaptation of that podcast? I am. And me and my cat, Rocky Flintstone, are going to watch it together. (laughs) (laughs) And Toby Ball, we have now the return of another prestige TV drama from HBO, something that we have mixed feelings about. Season one wowed some of us. Season two disappointed all of us. True Detective has dropped its trailer for season three. Before you ever knew me, I wasn't scared much. I wasn't a fearful man. Things I've seen, things I know, wouldn't do anything but cause harm. My whole brain's a bunch of missing pieces. Now, Toby Oscar winner Marashala Ali stars this season. It looks pretty moody. Are you willing to forgive the deep sins of season two and watch your detective season three with me? What do you think? I, I, there's more than just season two sins that I have to forgive. <laughs> <laughs> of the two seasons, I think there were three good episodes followed by like 
13 crappy ones. Mm. You know, I'll give it a shot. I tell you, when I was, um, the book that we just reviewed for the deep dive, Dead Girls, has a few parts where they have quotes from season one. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you just read it on the page, it's just so incredibly dopey. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's that kind of shit. And it's like, what? I liked like, it. I'm sorry I liked season one. Liked it. Sorry, Toby. It showed that the you know, the direction and the and the mood and stuff, and I thought the setup for one was good. So I'll check it, you know, I'll definitely check out the first episode or two. But, you know, my, my hopes are not super high. You may have to do more than that because we may review it on this podcast, Toby. You, <laughs> say, you can't just skip it. Like, if we're, we're going to make you watch this stupid Pam Smart thing we're going to be talking about, you got to oh watch God. True Detective Season 3. Laura, what do you think? Will you watch it with me? Yes or no? True Detective Season 3. I'll watch it. I'm in. Laura, you'll watch anything. I'll watch anything. <laughs> Laura's I mean, like, I watch, I watch the- Alaska, the Bush people. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Father Brown this week, so I'll, I'll watch anything. <laughs> so Kevin and I were watching this last week, uh, a show called Northwoods Law, which I believe is on Animal Planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're filming all over the state. Laura, they've been filming around you, right? They have. And they um, they just filmed um, one of my reporter friends, uh, Jason Schreiber, just had a really what I thought was a very funny story about the sharks that were discovered in the middle of the road <laughs> over in uh, one of our towns. <laughs> and apparently... The film crew showed up for that with the uh, fish and game people. So, yes. um, yeah. This is a show about New Hampshire fish and game busting all sorts of people doing dubious things like having sex in their cars in the woods and hunting without permits. And uh, my son's Riding history teacher yeah. was randomly on it, which was funny. So dogs got If out. they want to talk to me about timber taking, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm available. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is we'll literally watch anything. Uh, so, Kevin, yeah. will you watch season three of True Detective with me? I will, because you'll have your hands on the remote. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to move on. Uh, Kevin, there has been an update in the Anand Syed case. Uh, 30 seconds. Can you just tell us what that is before we move on to the meaty review? Part yeah, of our yeah, show? yeah. So the, the, this part of the process is that the state has filed its brief with the Court of Appeals of Maryland. This is their Supreme Court. And uh, there's some good analysis done by our friend Legal Siri. Colin Miller at Evidence Prof blog, and one of basically one of the things that the state is arguing is this this thing about uh, Gutierrez saying that her strategy in not going after Asia McLean, pursuing Asia McLean as an alibi witness, was that she was trying to establish an alibi by routine, by routine. yeah, which isn't a thing, right? Which isn't a thing, but uh, they're arguing. Well, sh- her thought was that uh, he every day he was at track practice, and then every then he he went to uh, you know, at this time, and he always went to Ramadan, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's kind of uh, where they're at, and uh, we're waiting now for the response mm. from uh, Justin Brown. All right. Wow, we covered a lot of stuff in the first half of this show. We did. Let's just hope the second half Ooh. doesn't take as long, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> right now, everybody's looking at their device, checking to see, oh my goodness. This is the abbreviated review portion. Woo. Well, now we're going to talk about the media review portion of the show. And we are going to talk about Investigation Discovery's three-part look at the 1990 case of Pamela Smart. He was just laying there. It was just total shock. I don't even remember like the entire night, but I remember certain flashes of it. I wanted them to solve the murder of my husband. And so I was extremely cooperative and they were very nice. And then there was a time when that all shifted. Prosecutors say the 24-year-old directed her high school student lover to kill her husband. 
The New Hampshire trial predated Court TV, making it the first live broadcast of a trial. All these years later, Pam Smart maintains her innocence and says she never received a fair trial. If you go and admit to a murder that you didn't even commit, you can get out of prison. But if you're really innocent, you can't. That's a, What kind of system do we have? As of now, there is no chance for parole. Pamela Smart, an American murder mystery, is available on demand and free online with your TV subscription. We will be talking spoilers of this case that everyone knows everything about anyway. (laughs) So if you'd like to remain spoiler free for our review of this show, you can jump ahead to our thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs down review in the show notes. We will put the time code. So here's my first question for the panel about an American murder mystery. Pamela Smart, Kevin Flynn. Why was this show made? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Well, I think I think that investigation discovery is catching on to the new public desire for stories about where the justice system went wrong. Right. That was really launched by serial. And so, I mean, that's a little m- more difficult than the usual stuff they're doing, which is the murder of the week. So I think they're looking at cases where maybe they think they can sort of raise that rhetorical question, did everything go right? Kind of like, what is her name, Diane Diamond? Or yes. Every, you know, every yeah, other, as Toby pointed out in his notes to me, doesn't know what actual words mean. Doesn't know what words mean. Talks, <laughs> talks in rhetorical questions. What could be the thing? That Toby, da, 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 da. Do, do you want to give some examples of, of words that Diane Diamond doesn't know the meaning of? Well, she just says things like, I took a few notes. At one point she says that, Pam Smart literally had those four teenagers wrapped around her little finger. Mm, not literally. It's like, no, she didn't literally have that. And then she describes one of the lawyers as coming on like a train wreck. That's right. Yes. <laughs> we looked at each other. <laughs> we actually paused it and went back when she said that. And what is she? Is she a, is she a journalist or a lawyer? Or Apparently what is she? she's a journalist of some kind. And um, you also oh, commented God. on the very classy thing that she said to Pamela Smart herself. When she went to interview right. her in the in the Bedford jail in upstate New York, what did she say to her? She said, you're going to die here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yep. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, Awkward. but, you know, at least she got a new shirt before she died. She did. She did. Uh, a couple you know? of things that I would like to mention about this show, An American Murder Mystery, Pamela Smart. One, hero prosecutor Paul Maggiato, who features prominently in the show. He's cleaned up very well, hasn't he? Is someone we know. Yeah. He's my personal lawyer. <laughs> what? <laughs> he is my personal lawyer. Oh, my gosh. Paul Maggiato. Oh. Wow. And I will just say, as the show describes him as a pit bull in the courtroom, I can say from personal experience, Paul Maggiato is a pit bull in the courtroom. There's nothing like having your civil attorney be a former homicide prosecutor. <laughs> Does he come on like a train wreck? <laughs> he comes on there. There is, there is one thing... <laughs> I just peed a little. It was oh, very funny. There is one thing that you see a lot in the Pam Smart thing is where he keeps interrupting and doesn't let the the person on the stand answer and it has to get be admonished by the judge. He does that. that still happens <laughs> multiple times. He's like, Your Honor, I'm not and he kinda like, yeah, you are <laughs> Well, another thing that I want to mention is um, some of their atmospherics around New Hampshire. 
Mm-hmm. Seabrook, New Hampshire, uh, Laura Bricker, which yes. I may have conflated a little bit with Salisbury in our last episode. Yes. Because the indoor shooting range next to an elementary school is actually not in Salisbury, Massachusetts. It is in Seabrook, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the show goes to great lengths to point out to us how trashy Seabrook, New Hampshire is. Mm-hmm. As a Seacoast, New Hampshire resident, how do you feel about the characterization of the atmosphere in New Hampshire in this series? Well, I would say, you know, Seabrook is definitely, you know, a town. I've covered Seabrook for as both a newspaper reporter and as a defense investigator. And it's it's a community where, you know, I would say a good majority of the people there, for the most part, do not have a lot of resources. I did a huge story at one point on when, when heroin was, this was like probably 15 years ago, coming into this area and and that was where the hub of all of the overdoses were happening you know and when you live around here people always kind of see brock you know you know it i think to highlight where those kids came from you did sort of need to understand the community that they grew up in right right i I think the most interesting thing about it which they don't talk about at all is that is that when it kind of high school which is where they where they went includes some very wealthy communities as well so it's this real mix and that I imagine that being from Seabrook probably doesn't have the same cachet as like kids who are wealthy and come from Hampton. And I Northampton, I, I yeah. would assume that there was there's um, definitely a class there, divide some, in the school there's some system class there. Issues, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there were so many things about this case, and it's so funny because this was a three-part series. And I don't know if you guys know, there was an HBO documentary made about the trial of Pam Smart a few years ago that's very interesting, that points out a lot of the flaws in the actual trial. And we've talked about this in the show before, I think. Uh, The HBO documentary talks about how the trial being televised actually worked really uh, to the detriment of the defense. And this... It really doesn't go into that at all. And one of the other things they don't go into at all, which is so strange to me, is they keep referring to Pam Smart's relationship with Billy Flynn as an affair in this show. And I'm just like, she was a staff member at a school. He was 15 years old. That was a sex crime. That was not an affair. Like in any other context, especially now, this show was now made in 2018. And they're not saying like back then we called it an affair. Now we'd call it a sex crime. He was 15. She was an adult working in his school. Like, If the gender roles were reversed, it, it, would, have been, it, it would have been much more obvious, right? It doesn't right? matter if they're reversed. There was just a, a staff member of a New Hampshire high school this month convicted of a sex crime because she had an affair with right like, no but i'm agreeing with you i'm saying i'm saying we this this wouldn't have been a, even an issue i know you, you know if it was, it was but, a, but i guess the issue yeah. with me is that this show made in 2018 continues still, yeah. to in the narration to kind of romanticize it yes and they even talk mm-hmm. to like modern day pam smart and nobody ever like says to her like you committed a sex crime. You like basically took advantage of this poor child. You were an adult. I mean, there were so many things about it that were weird. Um, another super weird thing that uh, Toby was also in your notes, and I'd like you to expand on a little bit, was the use of reenactments in this series. Toby, thoughts? You know, I, I always hate reenactments in these types of series because they don't really serve any purpose other than to have just something on the screen while somebody talks. Yeah. But these reenactments were so strangely horrible in that you would see a clip of 
the actual like courtroom footage of say like the defense lawyer who's got like this weird kind of he's balding and yet he somehow still has sort of a mullet. Mark Sisti. Yeah. yeah, his little ponytail. Who we yep. also know, by the way. Yes. Yep. And then they yep. go and then they go to the reenactment. And it's some guy with like kind of like a really short haircut. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just doesn't look anything like put him. Together, and it's yeah. like but you've got all this footage of him. Why don't you just use the footage and just turn off the volume and just talk over it? Yeah. And it's just again and again Even and the again. Pam it's smart like these actress people, looked nothing like Pam yeah. Smart. Yeah. I mean none of them yeah. none of them look like and then uh what Billy Flynn or whatever his name is, like the guy who's playing him. You know, th- there is there is no resemblance. I don't even bother to try to give them like a real mullet. You know, it's just it's just like they literally just grabbed people off the street and were like, okay, well, you pretend you're a 15 year old murderer. You pretend you're this like seductress, you know, media person at Winnicott High School. It would be what I would do if I was making a parody of these things. Yeah. You know, and they're just so closely juxtaposed yeah so there's just no way of avoiding it well you'd have the real person talking about what they did and then it would cut to the reenactment yeah. and you'd hear and yeah. see the real person and then immediately see the person that looked nothing like them yeah. doing it yeah that was annoying i have to say laura one of the things that i think has also gotten lost in a lot of the pam smart stuff which really struck me watching there's a lot of pam in this three-part series like a lot of present day pam in prison Pam Smart is really bright and articulate, mm-hmm. and she's a yeah. good talker. Yeah. I'd love to just know, like, what do you think about Pam, Laura? I don't know. I have to tell you, I kind of have Pam fatigue because, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought it was interesting to see her again. I was like, oh, look, Pam, I think she went to beauty school while she's been in prison. So yeah, I think so too. I think I remember seeing that story a while back. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, she's looking, you know, she's looking kind of hard, and she definitely looks, you know, a little not, not quite as, uh, you know, Fresh. Fresh as she once did. But she's looking good. And she she is very articulate. And she's good at articulating her case. I don't buy what she's saying. Mm. But she sounds good saying it. Yeah. I, I guess it's just at some point, you know, some of these cases... You know, when you when you live in this area, you know, you hear there's certain cases that just never go away. And Pam Smart case, I have to say, one of the things talking about, you know, scenery in New Hampshire that drove me bananas in this is they kept flashing in on the Rockingham County Courthouse and the saying in Exeter. Yeah. And that was not where the trial took place. Right. The trial actually took place in my town in the old courthouse, which is now the orthopedic doctor's office. Yeah. But it, it's one of those cases where when you live here, you know, so many people that have a connection to this case. Like it's it's like somebody I know her mom sold them the condo right. and then somebody else's ex-husband was on the jury. And there's always some sort of connection, like Judge Gray, who um, was the judge in this case. I remember like one of my first times covering something in court. I was covering um, your friend, Seth Bader, mm-hmm. and I took a picture in the courtroom. Oh, my word. I got hauled into Judge Gray's chambers, got in some trouble. He called my editor. Uh, So I like that sort of connection. Like when you know the people that are in the show. It's funny that Judge Gray... Admonished, admonished you, for, you that. for one photo he did. after he did. the goddamn was... Pam Smart trial. Now I'm going to crack down. He, oh yeah, he was like, "Who is your editor?" That like, and I was, I was like terrified. I think I was like just out of college. I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> well, Kevin, another huge omission in this show is they have the reporter, a WMUR reporter, a TV reporter who most closely followed Spencer, this. Spencer, yeah. 
breathless Bill Spencer. Yes, but they did not talk about, as they did in the HBO documentary, at all, all the unethical shit he did while covering this case. Well, he was he was pretty much, uh, I mean, he was following, for, at least it's friends said that they felt like he, he was following them because... They would be in a bar and all of a sudden there's Bill Spencer. He talked and, about this in the HBO documentary. Yeah. It was basically like he was, you know, when the when the police were investigating the case, he was trying to solve the case. Yeah. And he was inserting himself in the case. He was going to local bars where he knew Pam Smart's friends hung out and he wasn't identifying himself. He was literally just eavesdropping. And then he would report it on TV the next oh. day. Like shit he heard in a bar. Like oh. it's bad. Oh, yeah. Now, look. One of my problems I have with this this version of of, of the Pam case. I mean, they call it an American murder mystery. What's I'm a like, mystery? I'm like, is this really a mystery <laughs> about what might have happened? Yeah. And so they at the end in the the third episode they try to make the case like, well, maybe she didn't do it, and maybe she's the patsy. There were tapes. Yeah, and the tapes are trying to make the case. Oh well, there was you know the the transcripts didn't match the tapes everywhere. But yet they don't give us in a single example of right. where that might be, right. or whether or not it's exculpatory, right? Like what was it? What was cut from the tape? So like you right. hear her on the tape saying to the kids, like, "You better not say anything, or else you're going to go to the slammer." So like, what what could she possibly have said that like? Okay, so this is like my reenactment of what she could have said. All right, kids, I'm going to say the thing I would say if I was guilty. You better not say yeah. anything, or you're going to the slammer. <laughs> Yeah, that, that they just don't really like you know they just throw stuff out there, but don't like when it's so easy for the viewer they could back it up. Yeah, and they just don't, which makes me feel like okay, there just wasn't anything there to begin right. with. Right, and and it's punctuated by Paul Maggiato's awesome response to the question when they try to catch him, and it's like who transcribed the tapes? He's like, I don't know, somebody in the Attorney General's office who knew how to type. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a point, another point that I. I thought was was sort of classic is when somebody I can't remember who it was was trying to like make this connection that Pam Smart was really into like rock music and she <laughs> named her dog Halen and, and Billy was a musician and so you know you could see where their attraction might be I'm like he was a musician like <laughs> what did he like have a guitar he played the tuba like in the school band a, a long haired kid in New Hampshire who plays guitar and and that's your like way of making <laughs> trying to make this connection it was just so stupid it, it was weird because they, they they kept trying to like make this like it was new but then they kept doing all these things that were old and bad they have people on the screen saying like she just didn't act the way someone should act after their husband died and it's like okay we all know that it's like a bullshit thing to say and like it's like it's like almost like anachronistic now to say that in something like this. It's supposed to be... And that reporter was saying it, too. He was like, yeah, she walks in and she has these dead eyes. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus. She did, by the way, though, have a dope purple plaid collarless blazer, which is like the iconic Pam Smart Court outfit. Which... Oh, you're right. She's innocent. <laughs> yeah. uh, Laura, quick question for you. Um, this was the first wall-to-wall televised trial in American history. Yes. If the judge had said no, Judge Gray had said no, and every judge since the Smart trial had said no, no cameras in the courtroom. How different do you think the pop culture around crime and trials would look today? Incredibly different. I I can't even imagine not being able to turn on, you know, some form of cable network to see, uh, you know, 
the reaction uh, blow by blow every night to a trial that's happening or like the actual trial being broadcast. In a way, though, you know, with with the way that newspapers are just struggling, it might be kind of nice for things like newspapers for the industry because people would actually need to wait until the newspaper came out to see what happened. Yeah. Um, so there, there is that flip side to it. Yeah. Toby, before we uh, just give our thumbs up, thumbs down and say whether or not we think Pam Smart is guilty or innocent of this crime. Uh, you had one final note I just want to give you a chance to talk about the the places they had people sit during their interviews in this show. What, what do you think <laughs> of those settings, Toby? This is like one of the few things that really fascinates me about these programs is that they set people like in these strange places. Like the first one I ever watched, they had this guy who was a detective sitting in a barn that was the floor was like covered in sawdust. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which one was that? We watched that. I'm trying to remember which one that was. It was weird. I was like, is this supposed to be like symbolic of something or what's going on? So in this one, like, I don't even know where that reporter is, but there's like these like really nice planks behind them that are making a wall. But then there's like some car stuff. Yeah. It was just bizarre. And then there's a woman who looks like she might be in a hotel room, but that they've got a little like side table and they put like stuff that. It seems like somebody might imagine that a reporter might use while she was oh, working. Oh, that was like Tammy Plyler, pa- yeah. Yeah, like a pad and, and a pencil and stuff. But it, it just looks like a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then there's another person who's like in an empty restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Is that Aaron Joyce? Yeah. Like who scouts these things and makes the decision? Gotta it's find like, a quiet place. Exactly. Yeah, you can be in an empty diner. You, on the other hand, are going to be in a hotel. And you... I've got this, like, garage. <laughs> We're going down to Namco. All yeah. right. Uh, Kevin, uh, Pam Smart, is there any chance you think she did not orchestrate the murder of her husband, Greg? Nope. Laura Bricker, do you think there's any chance that Pam Smart did not orchestrate the murder of her, her husband, Greg? Nope. Toby Ball, do you think there's any chance that Pam Smart did not orchestrate the murder of her husband, Greg? This is actually, watching this show is about the sum total of my knowledge about this case. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there's much doubt. Yeah, the tapes are pretty damning, I gotta say. Like, I think Pam Smart's trial, and they don't even go into that in this. And it's so painful because that HBO show was so good. Her trial was terrible, which they don't even go into uh-huh. in the show. But yeah, there's the, the tapes. There are tapes. Lordy, there are tapes. Lordy, there are tapes. All right, let's just quickly do our thumbs up, thumbs down review of... Pamela Smart, an American murder mystery on Investigation Discovery. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Should our listeners check it out? This is one where I'd love to bring back thumbs sideways. Um, so I, you don't need to watch it. There's there's no new information. They promise new information. But, you know, I, I do get sucked in. So, you know, because I, I know the, like the people and the places. So I watched it and, and I enthusiastically watched it. Um, but I don't think I would recommend it. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for you on Pam Smart and American Murder Mystery. So this is my moment where I can say something nice about Pam Lindsay is that I would much, much rather listen to Up and Vanish than have to watch this shit again. <laughs> is that like a thumbs down, Toby? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a thumbs down. Like, I, I honestly, like, if there's something interesting about the case, they did not find it. Mm. Like, it makes you appreciate the, the shows that we review that are actually good about, like, just, like, little things. Like, I was thinking about how on Evil Genius, like, you get a sense of, like, the police that are working the case. Like, you get a sense of their personalities, and they're a little bit of inter- introspective about the work they did and stuff. You know, you got the sense that some of these people might be kind of characters. It'd be interesting to hear from them. 
but they're so limited in what they're responding to. Like yeah. the questions I think must be so bad that they don't come across as personalities at all. They're just people who are moving the story along. Right. You know, I think it failed on, on multiple levels. So yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. And uh, again, even worse much than rather up listen to Payne Lindsay. <laughs> I, I just imagine like the poster outside the movie theater that has like the quotes on uh-huh. it. And like the quote for this is even worse then up and vanished. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm with you guys. Despite the heroic appearance of our friend and personal lawyer Paul Maggiato in this, who, by the way, I think for what he had to do, did a great job because he was just asked questions and he answered yeah. them. He went from looking like Groucho Marx. Yes, yes, and he does. By the way, in his office, in his Concord office, have framed the newspaper from the day after Pam Smart's conviction, and the headline says "Guilty, Guilty." guilty. 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 Anyway, huge thumbs down for me. I would also rather listen to Up and Vanished season two than have to watch this show again. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm a thumbs down. It's not that it's a horrible show. It's if you've if you're like Toby and, and maybe don't know anything about the case, and it's probably an okay primer if if you know about the case and you want to dig a little deeper about the due process and the and the media attention, which is probably the most interesting legacy of the case. Then that HBO special might be more your, your captivated. Uh, captivated. Captivated, yeah. yeah. I think that's probably more your speed. Uh, this again, it's not horrible, but I, I would I would be like Laura and say thumbs down. You don't really need to watch it, uh, especially if you want to sort of get a sense of who Pam Smart is. I don't know if she'll ever be successful at winning a pardon, but I think what we probably could do for her is send her a homesick candle. Uh, oh my God! The one that's. <laughs> One that smells like New Hampshire. Oh my God, that was a great segue, Kevin. Homesick candles have these really great uh, wax candles, uh, premium soy wax, premium cotton wicks. But the candles from Homesick, each one is from a different state. It has, it a, has di- a signature scent. A signature scent from a different state. So here's the New Hampshire one. And we could send this yes, to, to her. Pam. To Pam. What does it smell like? It smells it like smells really good. Uh, warm apple cider mm-hmm. spiked with cinnamon and clove. Yes. Cozy hay rides curled up under a blanket. Yes. And the sweet smell of vanilla in the air. I really love that candle. It but smells nothing like a murder for hire by teenagers. It, it does not. And true crime fans, you don't need to be going to prison in order to enjoy a candle from where you've been. Homesick candles are great for folks who, you know, maybe moving to a new job or going to school someplace. Give them a candle with their state on it so that they kind of remember where they're from. It's a great conversation piece. Give me the Massachusetts one. I want to see All right, see, so we got, I have you're, two. You're from Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, so I have these two. And Rebecca, you're from New York. So I've got a New York and a Massachusetts candle. Okay, there's also a New York City one we have upstairs, New York right? City, they have special, So the Massachusetts yeah. candle says, also apple cider, yep. simmering coffee, just big donuts. Oh, they're giving you a little tribute to Dunks there. Uh, sweet hints of tonka bean, balanced by spicy cinnamon, a touch of fragrant clove. Yeah, New York's New York sense of Adirondack with an autumn fragrance of pumpkins and apple orchards finished by sweet hay. And rushing river mixed with spice notes and nutmeg and wow. stuff. That, that's must it's be great. from a really I mean, nice yeah. part of New York. They're fantastic <laughs> candles. They're priced at just twenty nine ninety five and individually hand poured. And the the scents are great, but it's really about just sort of having something that says nostalgia. This is where I'm from. Yeah. Whether or not you've always been in the state and you just want to get your home state, or you want to like remind folks, you know, where you are. You should get a homesick Great candle. gift. It's a great gift, something for yourself as well. Uh, go to homesick.com 
to find every single one of the 50 United States candles, plus dozens of classic U.S. cities and popular countries. Like I was going to get you the Long Island one. Mm-hmm. Actually, we have the Long Island one. I was going to give it to somebody else. Uh, <laughs> the world ship have uh, all of them d- shipped directly to you or your family and friends in just days. Right now, our listeners can get free shipping plus $10 off when they buy two or more candles. Just visit homesick.com and use code CRIME. crime. That's homesick.com and use the code CRIME. What else you got, Kevin? Well, we, we certainly know what can happen from these true crime stories if you're an adolescent without something good to do after school. Uh, yeah, we do now. Oh, dear. If you have a kid yeah. who needs a little help after school uh-huh. and they need help with their math. Yes. The after school math centers that you, you can send your kids to, they just have like these boring worksheets, yes. right? But Revolution Math hmm. offers online classes with math games designed to heighten skills just in time for the new school year. That and sounds cool. Yeah, it's not just about doing math, it's about loving it. Revolution Math classes meet online in face-to-face interactive classrooms, so you don't have to you know, drive across town and work it around dinner and or soccer pay practice. pay your one teenage son to bring your other teenage son to his stupid tutor like I do. Yeah, yeah. Each week, <laughs> students grades two to five develop math skills with their friends right through these engaging characters and storytelling and creates a really like really cool interactive experience really like heightening digital technology yep. for the for gamifying this. it exactly right right it's a really great educational experience and and with the class sizes are only about three to four kids with the same teacher every week so you know there's a really a lasting enthusiasm for the math even before the school year s- starts So enroll your student today to get your first month of classes for only $19 at revolutionmath.com slash crime. Crime. That's revolutionmath.com slash crime to get your first month of classes for only $19 at revolutionmath.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for our podcast is brought to you by Myra Books, publisher of the new novel Imposter's Lure by New York Times bestselling author and master of suspense Carla Neggers. This exhilarating page turner follows FBI agents and newlyweds Emma Sharp and Colin Donovan as they investigate the mysterious disappearance of a federal prosecutor named Tara McDermott. As the search for Tara intensifies, a seemingly unrelated murder leads Emma and Colin deep into a maze of misdirection orchestrated by a clever, lethal criminal who stays one step ahead of them at every turn. Full of clever twists that will keep you guessing, Carla Negger's Imposter's Lure is a mystery you won't want to miss. So check out Imposter's Lure, available today through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. And now it's time for our favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime Crime of of the Week. Gun smugglers in Paraguay were able to steal more than 3,000 high-powered rifles from a police armory. The theft went undetected for some time because the crooks replaced the weapons with toy guns. <laughs> it's believed the rifles were transported to Argentina or Brazil, where each firearm could command about $10,000 on the black market. Local reporters are calling this the, quote, most embarrassing scandal in the history of the police force. Panel, the theft might have been discovered sooner if someone had just inspected the rifles once in a while. Touched one. So here's my question for you. Lara Bricker, what possession do you have that could be replaced with a replica without you even knowing about it? That's a good question. Um, I would have to say it would be my bike because (laughs) um, I say I'm going to take up bike riding again. 
I've done it once. I it, like I don't know when you become a grown up, you really can't ride bikes. It hurts your ass. <laughs> so <laughs> they could probably replace it with like I don't even know what, and I wouldn't even notice. So <laughs> they could replace it with air, and you wouldn't even yeah. know. <laughs> yep. Toby Ball, what about you? What possession do you have that could be replaced by a replica, and you wouldn't even notice? Uh, literally, probably almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> I had a. Uh, at my last job, I had this uh, lamp on my desk uh, with like this like green shade. Mm-hmm. And at some point, this woman I work with took it and put it on her desk. And like apparently, like three or four weeks later, I walked in and I was like, "Oh wow, that's a sweet lamp!" <laughs> and uh, like everybody in the office started cracking up and laughing at me. Instead, Toby had a homesick candle from New York. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. From Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, so it could be anything. I, I probably wouldn't even notice. He has no situational awareness. What about you, Kevin? What do you own that could be replaced with a replica and you wouldn't even notice? My broom? They don't even use it? No, you don't. No? You don't. You do not do chores, Kevin. Yeah. It's either that or the walk. <laughs> the walk you know you, you know you should get like a walk as like a wedding gift or something like that and oh they, a walk yeah oh, I think okay. like, like a brick walk up to your front door or say, yeah. walk for stir Chinese fry. cooking yeah stir fry yeah. don't really do it that much I don't know I kind of think my husband he could be replaced by like less in shape Ricky Gervais and I probably wouldn't even notice God, you what? Because <laughs> Kevin, by the way, I gave you a fucking candle. You look, you look just like Ricky Gervais. Do you not, Kevin Flynn? I, yeah, I do. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap the show up this week, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat slash pet slash dog of the week this week? Uh, we do. Now, somebody nominated their pig, and I can't find it, so I'll do that one for next time. Oh, please do. Pigs are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have Andrea Fox's cat. She has two cats, Lola and Sushi. They have been with her since last winter. They're about a year old. She adopted them after her first almost 18-year-old cat died. Wow. And she'd had them for about a month. Her other cat that was the sister to the one who died, died too. Hmm. So she's glad she had rescued two kittens at the same time. She sent me some very nice pictures of them. And I also... um, have been on Instagram a little more recently and I have discovered this Miss Rigby boat cat which Mm. I would also recommend checking out this cat lives on a sailboat and is very cool well I do really love it when the cat slash dog slash pet of the week comes with an Instagram account so Laura Bricker people want to pitch their pets of the weeks with accompanying Instagram accounts or not to you how can they find you online at Laura Bricker and Tony Ball people want to reach out to you and pitch you other things that you might rather watch than listen to Episode <laughs> Season 2? How can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at NH, where I may be posting a photo of my totally sweat-soaked shirt oh. sitting oh. in this wow. unbelievably hot room. It's like we're sitting in a dog's mouth right now, people. That's what's <laughs> happening. It, it's... Gross. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like I've been extolling the summer weather in New Hampshire for weeks. I take it all back today. Kevin Flynn, who want to reach out to you and find out how much exactly you look like old school Ricky Gervais, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I strongly encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. You can go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to sign up for our newsletter, which we've been sending out a bunch of lately. Or you can support the show on Patreon, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. 
Another way you can subscribe is to get a free month of Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime, use the code crime, and when you'll join, you'll get access to our companion show, Married with Podcast, the show on which Kevin and I dispense unqualified advice about all kinds of things, including relationships. <laughs> our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where the floors are made from 100% imported from Missouri teeth. Oh. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Hey, Toby. What's going on? It's balls deep hot, Toby. Oh, God. It's just ridiculous. It's so hot that I am breaking my no drinking during the week stint to have Ooh. like shitty wine in a glass with tons of ice like they did in the 70s because that seemed to me to be the best way to cool down. Listen. <laughs> Listen to how reuniti this sounds. That's some good audio right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you were Bill Rankin, how would you talk about the weather in New oh, Hampshire today? Exactly. Hi. I'm Bill Rankin. <laughs> it's hot, New Hampshire. <laughs> it's kind of like being in North Carolina. <laughs> Everything is swampy. <laughs> I'm going to take my pants off. <laughs> Don't do that. Oh, not again. Rebecca, Bill, not again. Bill Rebecca, would never say that. Have you ever seen these? <laughs> oh, God. Bill would never do that. He's way nicer than you. Partners in Crime Media. media. Miss Jones Baking Co. is proud to present the world's first line of microwavable organic desserts Mm -hmm. in a cup. Kevin, our family loves them, do they not? Mm -hmm. Just add water and microwave for 30 seconds to get a fresh-baked cake that's fewer than 200 calories. Mm -hmm. Or try their award-winning fudgy brownie in a cup and make a warm brownie sundae in less than a minute. Mm -hmm. Ready to taste the magic? Use code CRIME at MissJones.co to get Two free desserts in a cup with any online purchase. Mm-hmm. Go to MissJones.co to get two free desserts in a cup. Use code CRIME. Crime. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.